Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this edition of Enterprising Families and in this edition I have Ken McCracken and he is one of my favorite favorite people to talk about especially in the area of natural governance. Welcome Ken. Hi thank you for inviting me good to be here. Brilliant. So our topic today is obviously natural governance and uh, the different moving pieces that go with natural governance and looking at how it influences formal governance within a family business, family enterprise, as well as family office structures. And I would just give Ken the floor to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about the work that he's doing, especially in the area of natural governance. Okay, thank you. Um... Well, just very briefly, I'm, I'm a family business consultant of some years standing. Uh, I've worked mainly in the United Kingdom, but also in other parts of the world, in Europe and the Middle East and Asia and North America. I'm also quite involved in family business education, both for professional advisors and uh, family business owners. Uh, so that's, that's how I spend my, my life. Um, and just to segue in then to the topic of conversation, which I'm delighted you want to discuss, um, which is natural governance. I think there is quite a lot of activity in our field around ideas that have been presented to families as best practices would be the popular term. And these are like normative standards. This is what families ought to, to do. Um, now, okay, that's helpful, uh, but my approach is different from that because um, I start from the position that families that have reached the first generational interchange or maybe the second or third are successful and therefore they must be well governed already. So the best place to start a conversation is not outside the family with some external best practice or whatever. It's by looking at how the family have already satisfactorily governed the interests of the family and the business and achieved some sort of balance between them. So it's a very empirical approach. You kind of meet the family where they are, understand why they've been successful. And the question that's implicit in that is why can't they keep doing what they're doing? Now, I think that might sound obvious, but some families think we must change. Well, maybe, but maybe a lot of what they're already doing is perfectly functional and can be replicated going forward. And that takes into account what I think is just a truism of family businesses, which is they prefer to change quite slowly. They prefer to change a little rather than having radical overhauls revolutionary type change. So I think that uh, the idea of natural governance is just to bear out what I think is 
these realities. Families are successful. They must be being well governed. There's probably a lot of what they do that is perfectly functional, so don't change it. And only change the little parts that need to be changed in order for that system of governance to remain functional. Um, and you have to have an empirical approach. You have to spend time with that family in that culture, understanding why they do what they do. If you start from a place outside of that family, whether it's a textbook or a best practice, who's to say that's better for them? And uh, I, I think that's that's just a category error, a formal mistake that people in governance can make. So I'm very comfortable with the idea of natural governance. So my first um, interaction with the thought of natural governance was an article that you wrote for FFI some time back. And I found yeah. it fascinating because the concept of natural governance is not the first thing that comes to mind with the whole world uh, at the moment buzzwording on governance, whether it be corporate governance or family governance, we tend to get lost in the word itself, governance. Can you possibly shed some light on what governance is and what then family governance would then pertain to be? Okay, well, the uh, I would suggest that in a family business setting, mm -hmm. Governance is how that family achieves a functional balance of interest among the competing demands of the business, the current owners, and the wider family. And those demands are for resources like time, money, opportunity. And the people that live in a family business are constantly trying to find how do we balance that? And that's just the natural desirable state because when they are in a in equilibrium or balance, people can go on with their lives. The business has the resources it needs to invest in the business. The owners are satisfied with their return and involvement and the wider family feel content in terms of the effect the business is having on their lives, uh, including the demands it makes on the time of some relatives who need to spend more time in the business, for example, than maybe they would like to in less time with their family. So effectively, governance is just that natural process by which that group of in, that group of people find a way of relating to each other and conducting their affairs so that they can each get on with their life. And I would add to that, get on with their life at a tolerable level of anxiety because everyone will be anxious about something at some stage. You know, come home and spend more time with the kids rather than going to the office or uh, make sure it's my offspring that gets the next job as chief executive rather than his or her cousin. So there's always that anxiety around competition for resources. So the system is constantly trying to find a way of balancing that. And, and in order to function, it has to do that. It's just the necessary state. And then the system will try and protect itself. It will try to maintain that balance. And when things come along that have to be dealt with, that maybe occasionally not the system off balance, the sudden illness of the founder or something like that. The system just wants to adapt a little to cope with, to absorb that challenge and then keep functioning in a state of equilibrium. So the, the, this idea of e equilibrium is not a fixed point. It's a dynamic state where the, the people in the system in those different roles are constantly trying to adjust what they do and how they relate to keep it in a, an overall balance so they can all get on 
with their lives and enjoy what they are trying to do as family members, owners, or, or business leaders. And the fact that that isn't written down, uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's a natural organic state that this group of people have to find a way of functioning in order just to get on with their lives. So, so the first concept here, I suppose, is that desirable state of equilibrium or balance of interests. And they just naturally find a way of doing that. Um, just to pick up on something else you said, I mean, the, the, the fascination on, on, on governance, which I think is great, you know, long overdue. So I, I welcome it. But the idea that it's all about structures and policies to me is missing the point. Certainly in a family business setting, it's a group of people who interrelate and find a way of doing so that enable them to go on with their lives and be successful. And how would you find, um, or how would you define governance in it being different from culture? Because when we hear the word culture, it's defined as the way we do things around here. And from what you said with governance is, with the system finds ways of um, recalibrating and finding ways of um, how we communicate with each other, how we interact with each other on different levels. Would you say that natural governance um, is a result of culture within the family business, the way we do things around here? Or is natural government something yeah. that is runs parallel to culture, but is very similar? It's a very, very interesting question. I would say that it's any system of governance in a family business setting will absorb the cultural influences within that particular family business. And there, in, in that uh, area, there is often my observation, and these are just ideas I use to try to make sense of this. I, I, I'm hoping that we'll, there'll be other people out there that can listen to this and come up with their own ideas, but the way I make sense of the cultural influence I see often the culture of origin. A lot of families I've dealt with here in the United Kingdom have a, a history or they're Italian or they're Indian or Pakistan or whatever. So they have a culture of origin that is still very influential. They have contemporary cultural influences that are brought to bear through where they live and their education and their travel and then they sometimes adopt cultural behaviours that make them uh, fit in, as it were, to the society that they're now part of. So all of that is part of the wiring of the governance system. And I would use that phrase that you've used, how we do things around here, to as, as a way of collectively describing the overall governance of which the cultural influence will be significant as will the values of that family, their, um, their belief systems, they may have a, uh, that might be rooted in some sort of faith or humanism, and all of that will feed into this governance system, and it all exists. And so, for example, I don't know many family businesses that would start their, uh, their enterprise by sitting down and writing out a vision and values. But the, just to say that it, it doesn't exist because it's not written down is utterly implausible to me. There will be a system of values that play in that family and they will have a vision in terms of what they're trying to achieve for their business and their family. They just haven't written it down. And the culture exists and it's not something that they even might be conscious of, but it certainly 
going to have a significant influence. And the family bring all those wiring, all those bits of wiring together and connect them and make it into a functional system. Uh, and uh, for people like us as outsiders who come to meet those families who are looking for ideas and help, and I said earlier, you have to meet them where they are, then the first duty of the consultant is to understand that and have the tools and ideas and concepts that you can use to kind of interpret and comprehend uh, that, that governance system, including its cultural influences. Uh, and in doing so, be very, very, very careful about not bringing your own cultural biases into that conversation. I am who I am. I come from where I come from. I grew up where I grew up. But when I'm meeting families, my beliefs, my values don't matter because we're there to talk about theirs. So that's quite a challenge. But at least if we're talking about it like this, we're, I think, accepting and understanding that challenge and preparing ourselves to be better equipped to do something about it. And how do you feel about or how do you view the importance of when the governance, the formal governance process begins? Because at some point, um, as a family gets on in different generations, there has to be that formal government or not necessarily has to be they they some they slowly go into formal governance because maybe the the family has just gotten too big and um, too unmanageable within that that small um, natural governance phase where you only had maybe a sibling partnership or the founder and uh, and their own children how do you how important do you think it is for the natural governance and um, the way the family was naturally governing itself to be documented so that it becomes part of the formal governance process and they don't lose that identity that they had cultivated and grown so much while they were exercising natural governance and, and everything was working in a relatively steady way. Well, I think the, um, uh, the stage at which this becomes necessary, desirable, or maybe just optional is for every family at that point where, I think what you've been describing, in fact, at that point where the complexity of this starts to overwhelm the natural governance system. And by what, 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 what I mean by that is, the shared understanding of the things that we've been talking about, the vision for the business, the values of the family, the cultural influences, that shared understanding and experience dilutes. And it just becomes open to too many interpretations and therefore competing interpretations and therefore prospect of conflict or disagreement over what is the authorized or correct way of doing things around here. Uh, now that complexity can, turn up at any generational stage. So for example, from my own caseload, a first generation founder moving to nine siblings, there's a, who are now spreading out, following their own aspirations, some working in the business, some as owners, some doing both working and owning. Uh, that complexity puts the system of natural governance under strain because the shared understanding starts to dilute. But if that first generation is to two siblings, 
what's well, maybe they can continue doing things with that such shared understanding of their natural governance system. Now, but the complexity might hit in respect of the business, because part of that uh, governance is balancing the relationship between the family and their business and those in the business. So if you're starting to run a, a larger enterprise or maybe several different businesses and bringing people into the business from outside the family, they bring their own cultural backgrounds and influences and maybe the business complexity starts to overwhelm the capacity of the natural governance system to keep everyone in a balance. So when that starts to happen, the desire to write it down is a natural thing to do, I think. And all we're trying to do is say, okay, we kind of agree statements so using language as best we can to bring clarity so that these things are clear to everyone and accessible to everyone and hopefully understood by everyone in a similar, if not identical way, then our governance system can continue to function and continue to support us. Now, I've got families who are fourth, fifth generation and have survived perfectly fine without any written governance. And then bang at the fifth generation, it's too complex. The, the, the family or the business start to become too complex. Things are knocked off balance and they need to write it down. I've got other families who are doing that in the first generation because, as I've said uh, in, in my example, they've already reached a stage of complexity when the natural governance system can't cope. Uh, so for each family, it's quite, can you just kind of transfer the through the stories, through examples, through leadership, an understanding of how we do things around here that everybody can get on with, then get on with it. And But if you're thinking, well, this is not going to necessarily be good enough to make sure everyone understands it, now you're at the stage where you're having to try to write some of this stuff down. But bear in mind, you're writing down what you do, and then you're maybe having to tweak it, adapt it, change it to make it better. But it's not about starting with a blank sheet of paper and a textbook. You're starting with your family's lived experience, your culture, your values, your traditions, your way of doing things. And given that if they have been successful, then they work. And don't let anyone, certainly not people like me, come from outside and tell you you've got to change it. What you've got to do is make it clearer so everyone can understand it. I like what you said about making it clearer so everybody can understand it. What are your thoughts on storytelling as part of the governance process, especially in natural governance? I found that when we share stories, we are sharing ideas, values, and we are passing on to the next generation or even the, the current generation that we're talking when we talk to each other and share our experiences, we're sharing stories. How important is storytelling to natural governance and um, even formal governance? Vital, absolutely vital. Because that's how we learn, how we understand uh, through the narratives as I would call them, or stories. And because uh, there's a very interesting process that goes on in families. You know, there's uh, stories are a very powerful way, for example, of explaining values. So you can talk about values and it can become a bit kind of, you know, vague and 
bit wishy-washy, as, we, as, as I would say. But you tell a story of when this value was upheld and you think, oh, now I understand. Or you tell a story of the severe consequences when that value was breached, which might have led to some conflicts in the family. So now I understand. So the story is a very powerful way of conveying meaning in a, in, in a way, and you can shape that to meet different audiences. Also, what happens in families is you have competing stories. You have narratives that different people interpret events in different ways, and that can shape the future. And you have to kind of address that. Now, often there, there will be a dominant narrative, a dominant story, which is usually the one favoured by those in power, who say, this is what happened. There might be other people that will be saying, well, that's just their version of events. Uh, so if, if I give you an, an example to try and explain that, from my experience, there, there, there was a family where uh, in their history they'd uh, had a share, they'd bought out one branch of their family in their history. And the dominant narrative around that was this branch had been uh, had not been contributing, uh, they were expecting too much in terms of wealth, uh, they were disruptive, and the share deal that they did was a way of solving the problem. So this was seen in a in a, a virtuous light. This was a good way to solve a problem. So that locks into that family the idea that if they have a similar problem in the future, we'll do it the way we did it in the past. Now, in the family, however, there was a competing narrative, which was that this branch had been badly treated, they were misunderstood, they were a creative entrepreneurial force that didn't get an opportunity to make their, their contribution. They were forced out and they got a bad deal. So for those who had that version of events, the idea of doing another transaction to buy out a, a branch of the family for them would be a disaster because they remember it very differently from the dominant narrative. Now, as advisors, if I could, because this is what I do, I have to always bring it back to, well, to have any credibility, I have to rely on what I do. I think as advisors, you have to understand those stories, the competing narratives, and maybe identify the dominant narrative, but don't just settle for one person's version of events. Look for the, the, the color, the nuance that you get through the different narratives. And the job of consultants, if I'm, I'll just conclude in this point for the moment, is to then understand that and help the family to write the next chapter of their story, which is the continuing narrative. How do they want the future to be like? How do people behave? Where do people end up? What's the story for the business? What's the story for the owners? And in order to write a sensible story, the next chapter of the family story, you have to understand the story so far. You can't, you can't write the next chapter. It's not, you're not a blank sheet of paper. You've got a family that have been in this country, been in this business, been in this sector, and they've done so much. And now the question is, what next? So the whole of this could be shaped as narrative. Um, as, and it's certainly a very powerful uh, tool and it's a very useful way of understanding and it's a valuable way of educating people about what this is all about. Um, so I think the story 
telling narratives, whatever we call them, are just fascinating and extremely valuable to anyone who wants to be part of this field. So a lot of times when people look at governance, they, they fo the focus is particularly on transitioning, succession planning, and um, looking yeah. at how the, how the business can have continuity as well as a family having continuity. Yeah. And when you're looking at, um, like you said, you've worked with, with families that have gone from first generation to second generation, third, fourth, without having formal governance um, structures in place. What would you advise next gens who are struggling with the transition process into continuity and um, are looking at governance? And sometimes the the perspective of their perspective of governance is probably if we go into formal governance, it will um, push along the process of succession and uh, make it something that the current generation have to deal with. What are your thoughts on next gens understanding natural governance and seeing it as an option, not always rushing towards formal governance? Well, the, the first of all, transitions are the time, the moment when these, you know, I, I these discussions take place. So I think up until then, whatever natural governance is keeping the system in balance will naturally adapt and change a little and cope with whatever happens in the family, whatever happens in the business. And then the transition comes along. And I, I, and I, I say this to both generations or any number of generations, because often now we have three generations in these discussions, not just two, but mm. um, I say to them, to frame the discussion, the kind of question, one of the questions is, is what we've got capable of coping with the future? Because if it isn't, then do you understand how it works? Do you get the wiring, the cultural influences, the, the balance of power, the way decisions are being made, resources are being allocated, jobs are being uh, um, awarded? Do you understand it? Because if you understand it, is there any reason why you can't just flip it forward onto the next generation mm -hmm. and continue doing what you're doing? Why do you have to change anything? Mm -hmm. uh, or if it doesn't look future-proof, then acknowledge that and now start to have a conversation about what needs to change. Now, a couple of things in there, if I may just sort of pick them out and magnify them a little. Um, Probably the most successful uh, succession principle in history of humankind is primogeniture, which is, you know, the, the, it goes from one to, to somebody in the next generation, but there's always one. The king is dead, long live the king. It might be through the maternal or paternal line, but they don't really change the model. They just keep selecting one person to take over from the, from the ancestor. And it works because nothing changes and you need a level of competence and ability, you need some support around that person, but you basically maintain that governance model. And so why can't you just keep doing, that's my example of why can't you keep doing what you've been doing in the past or adapt it in order 
to make it functional. And if you have to have the conversation, the point I want to draw out there is you can't really start the conversation until people accept that there's probably a need to do something to change it. I think sometimes these conversations founder because some people see that clearly or feel it strongly and they rush ahead. But others are saying, what's all the what's all the excitement about? Why are we doing this now? Why can't we just keep doing what we're doing? And in the dynamics of most families, there are people with power who can make change happen. Often it is the senior generation, not always, or the majority owner or somebody. And before you can really get down to the discussions of change, you at least must have the permission of those that have power to make change happen for those discussions to take place. Otherwise, you are on a fool's errand. They might let that happen, then they'll turn around at the end and say, yeah, but I don't want to do it. So I think sometimes you have to be more tactical about if we're going to have to change, we need to get certain people on board. It can be tricky, it can be tiresome, and for those that are just urgently wanting to get on with it. But that is the work, because if you rush ahead with the change discussions and those people haven't really engaged, you'll probably find yourself going round and back to the beginning and be very frustrated. So the, the, the tactics of transitions need to be um, dealt with. Um, but for both generations, look, if, if you've got something that's brilliant and beautiful and works for you, maybe you can just fold it forward like primogeniture or so, or something like that, and keep doing in the future what you've done in the past. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining me today and for just sharing with us the different thought processes of how we can navigate governance from different perspective, natural as much as formal governance, and obviously doing what's best for our families and understanding what our family culture is, what our family stories are, and what our real values are without having to initially write them down, but have that internal understanding of them and then be able to communicate them within ourselves. Is there any parting words you would like to share with our listeners today about the whole process of governance as well as um, being able to be intuitive about what's going on in our families and be able to work together for the greater good of everybody involved? Well, thanks for inviting me, first of all, and I'm always delighted to chat with you about these things. It's great to have an opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I would, what crosses my mind now is, is what I said, I think, near, near at the start. Let's all try to understand what is there better. Let's put as much effort into that and coming up with concepts and frameworks and ideas that help us to do that. Let's put the effort into that as much as we see the effort going into you know, the, the ideas of what you ought to change. There's a lot of people out there saying families ought to do this and families ought to do that. Okay, can we just have as much effort going into understanding what they are, why they're successful, and acknowledging that in order for them to go forward, they have a, a bias often that they like to keep doing what, what they're doing. I think that will help field, I think most importantly of all, that will help a lot of a lot of family businesses. So, 
the more of us that can get get involved in these discussions then the better brilliant thank you so much again ken